Chapter 2, Part 2 of Hypatia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Derek McLaughlin. Hypatia by Charles Kingsley. Chapter 2 The Dying World. Part 2. At the door was a crowd of chariots slaves with their masters' parasols, and the rabble of onlooking boys and market-folk, as usual in Alexandria then, as in all great cities since, who were staring at the prefect, and having their heads wrapped by his guards, and wondering what sort of glorious personage Hypatia might be, and what sort of glorious house she must live in, to be fit company for the great governor of Alexandria. Not that there was not many a sulky and lowering face among the mob, for the great majority of them were Christians, and very seditious and turbulent politicians, as Alexandrians, men of Macedonia, were bound to be. And there was many a grumble among them, all but audible, at the prefect's going in state to the heathen woman's house, heathen sorceress, some pious old woman called her, before he heard any poor soul's petition in the tribunal or even said his prayers in church. Just as he was stepping into his curricle, a tall young man, as gorgeously bedizened as himself, lounged down the steps after him, and beckoned lazily to the black boy who carried his parasol. "'Ah, Raphael Aben Ezra, my excellent friend, what propitious deity, ahem, martyr, brings you to Alexandria just as I want you? Get up by my side and let us have a chat on our way to the tribunal.' The man addressed came slowly forward with an ostentatiously low salutation, which could not hide, and indeed was not intended to hide, the contemptuous and lazy expression of his face, and asked in a drawling tone, "'And for what kind purpose does the representative of the Caesars bestow such an honour on the humblest of his, etc., etc.? Your penetration will supply the rest.' "'Don't be frightened. I'm not going to borrow money of you,' answered Orestes laughingly, as the Jew got into the curricle. "'I am glad to hear it. Really, one usurer in a family is enough. My father made the gold, and if I spend it, I consider that I do all that is required of a philosopher. "'A charming team of white Nicaeans, is not this? And only one grey foot among all the four. "'Yes,' Horses are a bore, I begin to find, like everything else, always falling sick, or running away, or breaking one's peace of mind in some way or other. Besides, I have been pestered out of my life there in Cyrene by commissions for dogs and horses and bows from that old Episcopal Nimrod Cynesius. What, is the worthy man as lively as ever? Lively? He nearly drove me into a nervous fever in three days. Up at four in the morning, always in the most disgustingly good health and spirits, farming, coursing, shooting, riding over hedge and ditch after rascally black robbers, preaching, intriguing, borrowing money, baptizing and excommunicating, bullying that bully, Andronicus, comforting old women and giving pretty girls dowries, scribbling one half-hour on philosophy and the next on farriery, "'sitting up all night writing hymns and drinking strong liquors, "'off again on horseback at four the next morning, "'and talking by the hour all the while about philosophic abstraction "'from the mundane tempest. 
Heaven defend me from all two-legged whirlwinds. By the by, there was a fair daughter of my nation came back to Alexandria on the same ship with me, with a cargo that may suit your highness. There are a great many daughters of your nation who might suit me without any cargo at all. Ah, but they have had good practice, the little fools, ever since the days of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. But I mean old Miriam, you know. She has been lending Synesius money to fight the black fellows with, and really it was high time. They had burnt every homestead for miles through the province. But the daring old girl must do a little business for herself, so she went off in the teeth of the barbarians, right away to the Atlas, bought all their lady prisoners, and some of their own sons and daughters too, of them, for beads and old iron, and has come back with as pretty a cargo of Libyan beauties as a prefect of good taste could wish to have the first choice of. You may thank me for that privilege. After, of course, you had suited yourself, my cunning Raphael? Not I. Women are bores, as Solomon found out long ago. Did I never tell you? I began, as he did, with the most select harem in Alexandria. But they quarrelled so that one day I went out and sold them all but one, who was a Jewess. So there were objections on the part of the rabbis. Then I tried one, as Solomon did, but my garden shut up and my sealed fountain wanted me to be always in love with her, so I went to the lawyers, allowed her a comfortable maintenance, and now I am as free as a monk, and shall be happy to give your excellency the benefit of any good taste or experience which I may possess. Thanks, worthy Jew. We are not yet as exalted as yourself, and will send for the old Erichtho this very afternoon. Now listen a moment to base, earthly, and political business. Cyril has written to me to say that you Jews have plotted to murder all the Christians. Well, why not? I most heartily wish it were true, and think on the whole that it very probably is so. By the immortal saints, man, you are not serious. The four archangels forbid. It is no concern of mine. All I say is that my people are great fools, like the rest of the world, and have, for aught I know or care, some such intention. They won't succeed, of course, and that is all you have to care for. But if you think it worth the trouble, which I do not, I shall have to go to the synagogue on business in a week or so, and then I would ask some of the rabbis. Laziest of men! And I must answer Cyril this very day! An additional reason for asking no questions of our people. Now you can honestly say that you know nothing about the matter. Well, after all, ignorance is a stronghold for poor statesmen, so you need not hurry yourself. I assure your excellency, I will not. Ten days hence, or so, you know. Exactly, after it is all over. And can't be helped. What a comfort it is now and then that can't be helped. It is the root and marrow of all philosophy. You're a practical man, poor wretch will try to help this and that, and torment his soul with ways and means, and preventives and forestallings, your philosopher quietly says, it can't be helped. If it ought to be, it will be. If it is, it ought to be. We did not make the world, and we are not responsible for it. There is the sum and substance of all true wisdom, and the epitome of all that has been said and written thereon from Philo the Jew to Hypatia the Gentile. 
By the way, here's Cyril coming down the steps of the Caesarium. A very handsome fellow, after all, though he is looking as sulky as a bear. With his cubs at his heels, what a scoundrelly visage that tall fellow deacon, or reader, or whatever he is by his dress, has. There they are, whispering together. Heaven give them pleasant thoughts and pleasanter faces. Amen, quoth Orestes, with a sneer, and he would have said amen in good earnest, had he been able to take the liberty, which we shall, and listen to Cyril's answer to Peter, the tall reader. From Hypatia's, you say? Why, he only returned to the city this morning. I saw his foreign hand standing at her door, as I came down the museum street hither, half an hour ago. And twenty carriages besides, I don't doubt. The street was blocked up with them. There, look round the corner now. Chariots, litters, slaves, and fops. When shall we see such a concourse as that where it ought to be? Cyril made no answer, and Peter went on. Where it ought to be, my father, in front of your door at the Serapium. The world, the flesh, and the devil know their own, Peter, and as long as they have their own to go to, we cannot expect them to come to us. But what if their own were taken out of the way? They might come to us for want of better amusement, devil and all. Well, if I could get a fair hold of the two first, I would take the third into the bargain, and see what could be done with him. But never, while these lecture-rooms last, these Egyptian chambers of imagery, these theatres of Satan, where the devil transforms himself into an angel of light, and apes Christian virtue, and bedizens his ministers like ministers of righteousness, as long as that lecture-room stands, and the great and the powerful flock to it, to learn excuses for their own tyrannies and atheisms, so long will the kingdom of God be trampled underfoot in Alexandria, so long will the princes of this world, with their gladiators and parasites and money-lenders, be masters here, and not the bishops and priests of the living God. It was now Peter's turn to be silent, and as the two, with their little knot of district visitors behind them, walk moodily along the great esplanade which overlooked the harbour, and then vanish suddenly up some dingy alley into the crowded misery of the sailors' quarter, we will leave them to go about their errand of mercy, and, like fashionable people, keep to the grand parade, and listen again to our two fashionable friends in the carved and gilded curricle with four white blood-horses. A fine sparkling breeze outside the ferros, Raphael. Fair for the wheat-ships, too. Are they gone yet? Yes, why? I sent the first fleet off three days ago, and the rest are clearing outwards to-day. Oh, ah, so then you have not heard from Heracleon. Heracleon? What the blessed saints has the Count of Africa to do with my wheat-ships? Oh, nothing. It's no business of mine. Only he is going to rebel. But here we are at your door. To what? asked Orestes in a horrified tone. To rebel and attack Rome. Good gods! A god, I mean. A fresh boar. Come in and tell a poor miserable slave of a governor. Speak low, for heaven's sake. I hope these rascally grooms haven't overheard you. Easy to throw them into the canal if they have, quoth Raphael, as he walked coolly through hall and corridor after the perturbed governor. Poor Orestes never stopped till he reached a little chamber of the inner court, beckoned the Jew in after him, 
locked the door, threw himself into an armchair, put his hands on his knees, and sat, bending forward, staring into Raphael's face with a ludicrous terror and perplexity. "'Tell me all about it. Tell me this instant.' "'I have told you all I know,' quoth Raphael, quietly seating himself on a sofa and playing with a jeweled dagger. "'I thought, of course, that you were in the secret, or I should have said nothing.' It's no business of mine, you know. Orestes, like most weak and luxurious men, Romans especially, had a wild beast vein in him, and it burst forth. Hell and the Furies! You insolent provincial slave! You will carry these liberties of yours too far. Do you know who I am, you accursed Jew? Tell me the whole truth, or, by the head of the emperor, I'll twist it out of you with red-hot pinchers. Raphael's countenance assumed a dogged expression, which showed that the old Jewish blood still beat true, under all its affected shell of Neoplatonist nonchalance, and there was a quiet, unpleasant earnest in his smile as he answered, "'Then, my dear governor, you will be the first man on earth who ever yet forced a Jew to say or do what he did not choose.' "'We'll see!' yelled Orestes. "'Here, slaves!' and he clapped his hands loudly. "'Calm yourself, Your Excellency,' quoth Raphael, rising. "'The door is locked, the mosquito-net is across the window, and this dagger is poisoned. If anything happens to me, you will offend all the Jew moneylenders, and die in about three days in a great deal of pain, having missed our assignation with old Miriam, lost your pleasantest companion.' and left your own finances and those of the prefecture in a considerable state of embarrassment. How much better to sit down, hear all I have to say philosophically, like a true pupil of Hypatia, and not expect a man to tell you what he really does not know. Orestes, after looking vainly around the room for a place to escape, had quietly subsided into his chair again and by the time that the slaves knocked at the door he had so far recovered his philosophy as to ask not for the torturers but for a page and wine oh you jews quoth he trying to laugh off matters the same incarnate fiends that titus found you the very same my dear prefect now for this matter which is really important at least to gentiles heraclean will certainly rebel Synesius let out as much to me. He has fitted out an armament for Ostia, stopped his own wheat ships, and is going to write to you to stop yours, and to starve out the eternal city, Goths, Senate, Emperor, and all. Whether you will comply with his reasonable little request depends, of course, on yourself. And that again very much on his plans. Of course. You cannot be expected to... We will euphemize unless it be made worth your while. Orestes sat buried in deep thought. Of course not, said he at last, half unconsciously, and then, in sudden dread of having committed himself, he looked up fiercely at the Jew. And how do I know this is not some infernal trap of yours? Tell me how you found out all this, or by Hercules, he had quite forgotten his Christianity by this time, by Hercules and the twelve gods I'll... Don't use expressions unworthy of a philosopher. My source of information was very simple and very good. He has been negotiating a loan from the rabbis at Carthage. 
They were either frightened or loyal or both, and hung back. He knew, as all wise governors know when they allow themselves time, that it is no use to bully a Jew, and applied to me. I never lend money, it is unphilosophical, but I introduced him to old Miriam, who dare do business with the devil himself, and by that move, whether he has the money or not, I cannot tell. But this I can tell, that we have his secret, and so have you now, and if you want more information, the old woman, who enjoys an intrigue as much as she does Falernian, will get at you. Well, you are a true friend after all. Of course I am. Now, is not this method of getting at the truth much easier and pleasanter than setting a couple of dirty negroes to pinch and pull me, and so making it a point of honour with me to tell you nothing but lies? Here comes Ganymede with the wine, just in time to calm your nerves, and fill you with the spirit of divination. To the goddess of good counsels, my lord, what wine this is! True Syrian, fire and honey, fourteen years old next vintage, my Raphael. Out, hypochorisma! See that he is not listening. The impudent rascal! I was humbugged into giving two thousand gold pieces for him two years ago. He was so pretty. They said he was only just rising thirteen, and he has been the plague of my life ever since, and is beginning to want the barber already. Now, what is the Count dreaming of? His wages for killing Stilicho. What, is it not enough to be Count of Africa? I suppose he sets off against that, his services, during the last three years. Well, he saved Africa. And thereby Egypt also. And you too, as well as the Emperor, may be considered as owing him somewhat. My good friend, my debts are far too numerous for me to think of paying any of them. But what wages does he want? The purple. Orestes started, and then fell into thought. Raphael sat watching him a while. Now, most noble lord, may I depart? I have said all I have to say, and unless I get home to luncheon at once, I shall hardly have time to find old Miriam for you and to get through our little affair with her before sunset. Stay. What force has he? Forty thousand already, they say. And those Donatist ruffians are with him to a man, if he can but scrape together wherewith to change their bludgeons into good steel. Well, go. So, a hundred thousand might do it, said he, meditating as Raphael bowed himself out. He won't get them. I don't know, though. The man has the head of a Julius. Well, that fool Attalus talked of joining Egypt to the Western Empire. Not such a bad thought, either. Anything is better than being governed by an idiot child and three canting nuns. I expect to be excommunicated every day for some offense against Pulcheria's prudery. Heraclean Emperor at Rome, and I lord and master on this side the sea. The Donatists pitted again fairly against the Orthodox to cut each other's throats in peace. No more of Cyril's spying and tail-bearing to Constantinople. Not such a baddish affair. But then, oh, it would take so much trouble. With such words, Orestes went into his third warm bath for that day. End of chapter 2